0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all again after COVID number two. It was such fun, I love it. So it's good to be among the land of the living and uh, all of that good stuff. And um, I noticed that my sound guys uh, brought me an extra nine volt battery because I've been out. So they know this is gonna be doubly long. So I'm ready just to switch the battery out and keep on going and uh, so I'm sure that that's what they had in mind as Bob reaches for the mute button. Okay. So, yeah, good to see you guys. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Um, I want to ask you to get your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 8. And I know we've had uh, trying to work through the book of Daniel, a lot of uh, interruptions. I, I look at the church calendar and I'm beginning, you know, planning, preaching, and and I look at things and think to myself, boy, it's a bad time to start a book of the Bible. It's going to be interrupted four or five times, and, and then I just say, I don't care, and I do it anyway, okay? I don't know why I do like that, but I do, but anyway, hopefully we can kind of keep a, a train of thought going. Pastor Dan uh, does a great job filling in for me when I'm not here, and I appreciate that, and uh, Pastor Joe, when I'm calling him to do it, he jumps in there and and does it as well, and so grateful for those two guys. Um, after that, it's up to the chairman of deacons, and so it's his turn next. And um, so, whoever that is—that Dave—I think it is. No, he he just resigned. He said so. Okay, praise the Lord. Uh, good for that. Well, uh, let's let's uh, let's think about something for just a minute before we jump into scripture, and uh, let's talk about uh, for just a moment the study of, of theology. Theology is just uh, simply the study of God. Okay. So, studying God, why do it? What good is it? I mean, it's probably not going to result in a a pay raise. Um, It's probably not going to uh, bring about... um, better health for you it certainly doesn't cause you to avoid COVID as I've demonstrated twice so what what good is it? why pull aside parts of your life and shut out the thoughts of other things and concentrate upon the God of the Bible why do that at all it, it doesn't seem to have any practical purpose. So why waste your time with such things? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever thought about those things like, why am I doing this? Some of you have been around this long enough, and you may ask yourself this kind of question. Why would I want any more? I have enough. I'm saved. Barely. I, why would I want to study God's word? I have other things to do. My life is so busy. Why would I do this? Have you? I mean, have you ever thought about that? And, okay, attendance will be down next Sunday. I see. Now, uh, this is good thinking, Pastor. Way to go. So, why, why would I do this? So, um, I, I think that, I think there's some just practical responses to those kinds of questions that that would arise in our hearts, and and I think practical answer number one is is just simply this um it's one thing to own an iphone but what if you had the opportunity to meet steve jobs that would be kind of cool i mean i know he's dead now but that would have been kind of cool you know i mean i know it's one thing to change a light bulb But what if you had the opportunity to go to Thomas Edison's house and sit down and meet him and talk to him and become friends with him? Those are two totally different things. Everybody uses light bulbs. But only a few people would have been his friend. Right? It's the same thing with the study of theology. I mean, anybody can talk about God. And anybody can invoke the name of God. But there are only a few people that really get to know who God is. That's a whole different ballgame. And so one of the practical reasons that you do this is simply so that you get to know who God really is. It's not just an intellectual exercise. Knowing theology in and of itself for its own sake is actually dangerous As Paul said to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, knowledge makes you prideful. But in the study of God, if your purpose is to know Him, it will actually make you humble. There's a difference. And our our task here in, in preaching is not the display of knowledge. It's the display of the knowledge of God that leads to the display of God that causes the manifestation of God in your mind and heart so that you may be humbled by His greatness and His largeness and His perfections and His purpose and and, and His person. And then as a result of that, you may understand who you are. This is extremely important. Here's something else that's practical about all of this. It is only... The knowledge and study of God that will enlarge your soul. Now, I, I happened to take a, a small amount of satisfaction yesterday in the fact that the Bengals won. Sorry, sorry. if you're from Cincinnati, it's the Bengals. Yahoo Day, baby. So, I, I mean, you know what? It's been a long time. You know, and I'm just thinking, you know, this is a pretty good story. And we got an Ohio boy that's playing quarterback. It's a pretty good story. You know, I, I like this. This is great. And um I, I and I, I just hate to tell you, you know, I used to live in the Cincinnati area. I just kept thinking they're gonna they're gonna mess this up. They're gonna mess this up. And so don't get don't get excited. They're gonna mess this up. And um so so you know, it's and it's a great story and it's fun and it, but you know what? That knowledge doesn't expand my soul. It it really it doesn't it does You may get a momentary thrill from a lot of things in life. But it it doesn't expand your soul. It doesn't enlarge your mind about the greatest subject and the greatest topic ever known to man, which is God. It doesn't expand and and cause your emotions to turn to that which is the greatest love that has ever existed, which is God. God. It doesn't change your volition, your will to study all these other things, to begin to decide and make decisions based upon the will and desire of the Creator of all things. But the study of God does those things. To take time out of your life on a daily basis, but especially on Sunday, to contemplate the unchangeableness of God, His infinitude. His eternality, His self-existence, His power, His omniscience, His omnipotence. The distance between the Creator and the created is vast. And to think upon those things and His great purposes, what He's planning to do. And that all things will come to the feet of Jesus And confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the great purpose of all purposes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you do this. You're not going to get that out of a college degree. You're going to get facts. You're going to get knowledge. But it will not expand your soul. It will increase the amount of information that you Have handled. But it will not. Enlarge your soul. But the study of God. Does just that. There's nothing else. Like this. And that's why you do it. So. We turn to the book of Daniel. and We're in the 8th chapter. Now we know that. This is the prophetic. Section of the book of Daniel. We have said that. Daniel is really a two-volume set. First is all the historical stuff of Daniel's life. And then next comes the prophecy, even though the prophecy is connected to history for sure. But it's prophetic. Now, I want to just make an announcement to you. Prophecy is only prophecy to people. There's no predictions by God. Prophecy is the revelation to man Of what God has already decreed. And it will come to pass. There's never a time in heaven in which God is wondering. Oh my, I wonder how I'm going to work this problem out. That's not how God works. We believe that God directly causes the events in this world. We believe that. He may use agents, sometimes human agents, sometimes angels, and sometimes even demons to bring about the effect in this world that he wishes to cause. Behind it all, God caused COVID. I wonder why. One thing is for the purging of his church, praise the Lord. Those who were just playing at it decided that it was too dangerous to gather with God's people. We'll just do something else. i am say, so now I notice they have no problem going to the basketball game or going to Applebee's. Well, amen. So I'm okay with it, guys. I'm, I'm way okay with it. Uh, As Baptists, we've been lying for years. We have said we believe in regenerate church membership only, that only the saved should be members of the church. And we carry on the church role those that don't even have a spark of interest in Jesus. Bunch of liars. We get all worked up because somebody commits some little sin of some sort, but then people that are consistent and persistent sabbath breakers we just turn our face the other way and go well they're friends of ours don't you know that they're important people in the community no they're not important people in the community they are self-proclaimed important people in the community they're big in their own eyes they're small in the eyes of God so these things that we we look at in life and we think, well, um, if it's something that's hard that's going on, the devil's causing it. If it's something that's good that's happening in my life, then God's causing it. But can, can you think of this for just a moment? When I was a kid, and, and I, I grew up in an area in East Tennessee where we, we had a, a, a large uh, lake, TVA and uh, lake in Norris Lake. And um, so in those rare days when I had... Uh, maybe a part of a Saturday off you know what I was doing? I was praying for no rain oh dear God please give us a day of sunshine God you know I need it so badly you know as a 17 year old boy you're under a lot of stress and um, God I need it and I'm expecting God to do that while the farmer's crops are burning up God is the one who calls us either the sun or the rain and for some It's disaster, and for some, it's a blessing. But God is the cause behind it. And we look at the events of history sometimes, and we just read it with a filter that if it's something we consider bad, that it's it's not God, but if it's something that's nice, and butterflies, unicorns, and rainbows, and leprechauns, and all that kind of stuff, that it really must be God. What a shallow view of God we have. You know what's happened? I'm I'm on a rant. Do you know what's happened to Christians? We're embarrassed of the magnitude of our God. So what we do is we try to shrink him down out to the world so that he'll be palpable and and people can digest him okay and they won't gag on him because he's too big for them. And and so we we've done it we've done that so much we've dumbed God down for so many years because we're afraid that it won't be acceptable to the world for our for us to say this is what our God does He saves some and He condemns others that's just the way it works Bubba but no we have as as been so humanistic in all of our thinking in the church that we want to exalt people we want people to not have their feelings hurt so we have brought God down we've hid Him behind a curtain. And now we've done that for so many years, we believe that God ourselves. And so now we have a little bitty God that we worship. Because we've spent so much time trying to make Him acceptable to a godless culture. I want to make Him completely unacceptable to them. I want them to be frightened of Him. I want them to run from Him. It's only as a man becomes afraid of Almighty God and becomes uh, uh, astounded by his own sin that he ever seeks a Savior. He's not going to do it when he thinks God is polite and careful and easygoing and that all all people that might somehow be able to call themselves a Christian by some uh, figment of their imagination that we're all in this together. No, we're not in it together. Not when you're pulling toward a downgrade in Christianity all the time. or Let's call it a nosedive. No, we're not. And all this stuff is so uh, acceptable to Christians. No, it's okay. You know, just long, just as, long as, they, as long as they believe in Christmas, it's all good. It's just absolutely nauseating. All of this kind of thinking, the, the problem is it's just bad theology. It, let me say it a different way. It doesn't align with the Bible. And so what we're looking at in chapter 8... It's just simply this. This is the, the events of the world that, were, that God, through Daniel, He gives this prophecy of the events of the world. And he is, what He's saying about all of it is, This is not by human hand. This is by the hand of God. And He's wanting to assure. God is wanting to assure His people. You're getting ready to go through some things that you never imagined. Some awful things. And I want to let you know, it's by my hand. Now, so let's look at the 8th chapter. Y'all fired up yet? You ready? Okay, we're going to do it. All right. So let's look at, I've I, I just kind of, you know, this is a, uh, this kind of section of the scripture. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like preaching uh, what Paul writes is a great, like, legal argument. Um, this is, you know, this is narrative. But I, I tried to divide it up a little bit so we can maybe digest it in some hunks at least. And so what you see the first picture here I just want to look at is the proceedings of the world what the world is doing. Now in in verse 1 in the 3rd year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Okay so chapter 5 remembers the downfall of Belshazzar the the handwriting on the wall. So obviously chapter 8 chronologically comes before chapter 5. But remember Daniel's it's organized according to theme, like here's history, here's prophecy, okay? So chapter 8 is, is prophetic, but it happens before chapter 5. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was uh, at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and said, and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal, It had two horns. Both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which had been standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to the one who spoke. For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? The transgression that makes desolate and the giving over the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Now let me hold here for just a moment because we're talking about what's going on in the world and so uh, in this vision. And so you you have this first part of this, the, the vision of world events being expressed here by Daniel. Daniel says, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. So what is it that is taking place here? Okay, so the year in which Daniel has this vision is about 550 B.C. Okay, so that's that's important. Secondly, as I said already, the, the revelation of what's being seen here, what Daniel is seeing, this happens before the events of chapter 5, so if you're reading the book of Daniel, it can be confusing. Daniel was actually in Babylon. In some way, he's working for Belshazzar, the king. And I don't know exactly all that his role is, but but... Later in the chapter eight, you see that he goes back to work for him. But so Daniel's actually in Babylon, but in his vision, Daniel is in Susa, the citadel, and, and this is I, some miles away. I, my memory is not as good as it used to be, but I think it's like 150 miles away uh, from from Babylon. So uh, he's he's thinking but now. Susa kind of an interesting place because um, there are some biblical attachments to this particular uh, city this is where Esther was and Susa was um, also there's this huge canal there that and it's dry today but this huge canal there for transportation and water and stuff that went by there um, and so also we know the the code of Hammurabi was discovered there in Susa so this this is a real place uh, this canal that 's there, U like canal is about nine hundred feet wide it 's bi- i mean think about the technology of that for that day um, so this is the context of of what 's going on And so daniel 's speaking of of this now then he 's giving the the explaining now the events. Of the world, and we've already had some symbolic things that we that we have read. I'm, I'll go back and touch on those after I read these next verses. Because the good thing in your Bible is beginning in verse fifteen explains what we just read. There's this principle that you go by: don't guess at what the Bible means. Let the Bible tell you what it means. Uh, it'll make you look a lot smarter too. Okay, just just saying. Okay, so the, the vision of the world, Now we have an explanation now of what's going on here. So let's pick back up in verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel. Make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O Son of Man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. I have that same problem when I'm preaching. Some of y'all just, you know, go into a deep sleep with your face to the ground. I always just thank God for your wife if she elbows you. Now he said, Behold, I, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Remember Cyrus and Darius, okay? And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. And so by the king of Greece, I mean the kingdom of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. So who's the great first king of Greece? I think a deacon's wife said Alexander. Yay! The rest of you need to study some world history, right? You're not doing that at school, and so you're messing with your Bible interpretation now. Okay. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall rise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit... A king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken but by no human hand. So, in order for any of this to make sense, bear with me for just a moment. So the ram here, the ram of two horns, so that is the empire of the Medes and Persians. Now, that empire, by the way, is the one in power right now when Daniel writes down or has this vision and writes it down. So remember, Belshazzar is, is he's going to be, uh, he's the last king of Babylon and, he's gonna, and, and the Medes and Persians are coming. They're at the gate. When this vision comes and God is saying, what's going to happen is the Medes and Persians are going to take over. Now, Belshazzar, he's so arrogant, he thinks there's, it's not possible. This is absolutely impossible. These guys cannot overthrow Babylon. It's not possible. So, I, I suspect, though the Bible doesn't say this directly, I suspect that Belshazzar hears this prophecy from Daniel and in response to the prophecy about the overthrow of Babylon by the Medes and Persians Belshazzar decides to defy God and his word and have this grand drunken orgy to defy what Daniel has said I suspect chapter 5 is a response to hearing this prophecy so one horn is larger on this ram, which is weird, but the larger horn is, the horn is Cyrus, the smaller one is Darius. Darius is the father-in-law, actually, of Cyrus, and Cyrus pitches father-in-law a few bone, you know, because, I mean, you know, he wants to stay in good with his father-in-law, but Cyrus is, is obviously the stronger one, so he's the larger horn on this ram, the, the kingdom of, of, of the Medes and Persians. The goat is the Greek empire. The big horn on this goat is Alexander the Great. Alexander is educated by Aristotle. Alexander becomes king at age 20. He conquers most of the known world. But dies at the age of 32. Probably of malaria. He dies on 323 BC. So do you get this? Daniel's making this prophecy in 550 BC. And... It doesn't come to pass, and it happens in 323 BC. So, do you see how far in advance this is? Ha- see, the Book of Daniel is a problem for people who deny the Bible, because this is historically verifiable—the date and everything—that the prophecy actually took place before the events of before uh, Alexander the Great was even born. Any any honest archaeologist will tell you that Daniel was written before these events took place in history now out after the horn is broken off after Alexander the Great dies and legend says that he cried because he had no more uh, no more worlds to conquer sort of thing, I don't know if that's true or not but but we do know that he took 30,000 troops and whipped an army of 800,000 he's a mean dude now in his place on this kingdom, this Greek kingdom, four other horns come up. And so what happens is after Alexander the Great dies, they kill his kid, they kill uh, his wife, they, they, they kill his grandmother. I mean, there's nobody to take his place. And so after a lot of wrangling and intrigue and all this stuff, four generals arise uh, out, of, out of the mess. And the kingdom is divided among Alexander's four generals. Out of one of the four horns grows this little horn and this little horn is Antiochus Epiphanes he called himself Epiphanes now do you know what the word Epiphany means? so Epiphanes means God manifest God in the flesh God incarnate is what he believed himself to be Now. Uh, contrary to those of you that have this uh, prophetic sweet tooth, you want to study prophecy all the time, this little horn is not the Antichrist. Sorry. It's Antiochus Epiphanes. This is real history. This is not talking about end times as far as when Christ returns. Now, we do have some chapters later in the book of Daniel that have similarities to this, and we will see that it's Antichrist, okay? But right now, what we're dealing with is just a, a couple of hundred years future in world events. The, the he 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 parallels the Antichrist in a lot of ways, but he's not the Antichrist. I mean, for one thing, is you guys know the Antichrist comes out of Rome. Antiochus Epiphanes comes out of Greece, so I mean, even that one small detail is is a problem. Now, in verse ten, verse twenty-four, um, it says that. As far as uh, in in verse 10, what do you see is uh, even the host of heaven, some of the host and some of the stars, he threw down to the ground and trampled on them. What is he talking about? What's the Bible talking about here? He's talking about the Jewish people right here. Now, you know that within the Jewish people is the church. Not all of the Jewish people were part of the church, the pre-incarnate church, But there were those within the Jews who were true believers that believed in the coming Messiah who would save people from their sins. But most of the Jews got off track. They were looking for someone who would do tax reform, uh, someone who would do do build back Jerusalem better, and stuff like that. They thought that, to to keep their national interests going... And their patriotism, that's what led their theology. And so they were looking for a Messiah that, as uh, Tyler Stewart said, would make Israel great again. And so that's what they were doing. They were looking for that kind of thing. They were not, look- they, they were not looking at themselves and going, you know, what's, you know what's in ruins in this world? My heart. That's what's in ruins. My life is far from God. That's what needs to be built. They were not looking at that. They were looking at themselves as, we're God's people, we're fine. What we need is the, the environment around us to be changed. And so they wanted things like, you know, Ten Commandments mandate and stuff like that. Yes, I am being sarcastic, so just deal with it. I've been told on many occasions, my, hum- my type of humor is inappropriate for a pastor. Well, I'm sorry, when, when I got into the ministry, they didn't give us like pastor humor books. I mean, the ones I did see were stupid, so I just hate to say that, but i am just not go in there. So he, this Antiochus Epiphanes, he executes about 80,000 Jews, men, women, and children in a rage. What happens is he goes down to Egypt, and he's trying to take Egypt back over, and news came back to Israel that Antiochus Epiphanes had died, been killed in battle, and there was a great celebration. He found out about it. And so when he came back, he crashed the party, literally. Now, his persecution of the Jews begins about 170 B.C. So you see, Daniel's prophecy of these things, as far as Antiochus Epiphanes, the little horn here, is 380 years or so, you do the math, before these things ever happened. In December of 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes raises a statue to Zeus in the temple of God. And on the altar of God, he sacrifices pigs there. So how long did this persecution under Antiochus Epiphanes uh, go on? How long was it? About six, six years and three months he persecuted the Jews. Or as the Bible says here, 2,300 evenings and mornings in verse 14 you see Daniel prophesied even how long that persecution would go on we know that the sanctuary is restored and cleansed by Judas Maccabeus uh, December 14th 164 BC and the Jews every year celebrate that uh, cleansing of the temple how? What, what is their feast during that time? Hanukkah right? you, you guys know Hanukkah so you have a, 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 some things here that you, you do have to wrestle with and, and so for example in verse uh, 16 the vision is for the time of the end. Now there, there are people that take this phrase it's used a couple of times here and they say oh okay this is talking about the return of Christ because this is a vision for the time of the end but no, in, you do, please do, interpret things in context the context here is it's the end of the vision it's the end of these events, this section of history that God is talking about. This part of the, of the Bible is not talking about the end times, as you will, that we like to talk about. It's not talking about that part. It's talking about this time of captivity in the time of, of Daniel. So I, I give you that long history lesson for what reason? Just simply my own entertainment. Okay, let's go on. So now, look at the, the in all of this, the, the point is now the providence of God. In, in verse 13, what you see is that his hand determines the timing of all the events of the world. It, in, in this speaking, how long is this vision gonna happen? And, and how's it gonna, how long is it gonna go on? And these things that you're talking about, the transgression that makes desolate, it desecrates the sanctuary, how long is that gonna go on? And here's God's timing. 2,300 evenings and mornings gives it exactly and precisely. Here's, Here's our point. In whatever you're going through in life, God has already determined how many evenings and mornings. Already determined. And so you and I have to learn to trust God's timing. I think, in my personal opinion... He needs to cut down those days a little bit. I mean, I don't know about you, when I'm going through something, I'm like, I'm wanting this, like, listen, how do we expedite this process, God? I, I've already repented six times. Can we hurry up and get out of this? And it doesn't work that way. Because God is not responding to you. He's responding to his own decree. He had already determined that this is what they needed and this is what would take place. So God has already determined. So the reason, what is the reason for the events of history? Why is God doing this? And he says it's because of transgression in verse 12. Whose transgression? The transgression of the Jews. The reason they're undergoing all of this and they'll undergo even worse persecution. The reason is because of their transgression. What is their transgression? That they had turned away from the living God. They were using God as their shield, as their reason to be chosen people. But they had not chosen God. Within the Jews, as God has always said, there's only a remnant. I have preserved a remnant for myself. Only a small number for himself. And so a small number of believers in the midst. And it's true for us today. We, we live in a world, and, and we live in this country like everyone else, and we may be followers of Jesus, and whatever difficulty comes in our nation, it also comes to us too. We're not exempt from it. And the people that were truly following the Messiah in Daniel's day, that small remnant of people, they're going to undergo the same persecution as everyone else. So the vast majority of the Jews wanted this political ruler to make life on earth easy, provide economic recovery, lower taxes, all those things. But they were not looking for someone to save them from their sin. And so God determines the timing. And then also the providence of God, like His working, His specific and direct working in the events of human history. His hand determines the tragedy and transition of life. Verse 25, you you see in that verse, He says this, uh, that after the little horn does these things he said without warning he's going to destroy many uh, he's going to rise against the prince of princes but then he says this the bible says and he shall be broken but by no human hand antiochus is going to be destroyed but not by human conquest he'll be destroyed by the hand of the lord now when we read that sometimes we tend to think oh okay well then god is going to strike him dead with like a bolt of lightning because it's... No, God normally uses human agents in this world to carry out his plan. But it still is true. Who is it that raises up kings and casts them down? It's the Lord. And so Belshazzar learns this very quickly. He taunts God... And God writes him a note on the wall he never forgot. He too is going to be brought down by the Lord. This should have been a warning to him. Don't defy God. God is in, if God is in control of all of you, what do you think He's going to do with you? And yet Belshazzar turned a deaf ear. So the providence of God, He's at work in our world today. He's directly at work. God is not battling Himself in the events of human history, He's causing the events of human history. He's not at odds with himself. God is not going around putting out the devil's fires. God is, he himself, is orchestrating all the events of history because he knows how all of this works and brings to pass his ultimate and final plan. And his plan is that the elect would be brought home with him, that the reprobate would be cast in the lake of fire, and that every tongue would be stopped from self-justification And everyone would be forced to admit that God is wise and that he is Lord over all things. What is the purpose of this for the saints? What benefit is this kind of thing? You know, we're not given prophecy to arouse our curiosity and try to find out what's the code. You know, you always have those nuts like, oh, there's a a secret way to interpret this. And if you come to our class, we'll let you know what it is. Those people, I'm just like, get back, evil one. Sometimes we have a tendency to sensationalize things that are not meant to be. God uses metaphors sometimes, or often actually. He uses allusions to things. That, I mean, here he takes a ram and a goat, for goodness sakes. And he's, he's communicating some things. So what is the point of this? I don't want you to leave here going, man, pastor, you have killed us with history today. So what is the point of this? Well, look in verse 26, 27 now. So, what is the purpose for the saints? The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Well, if you have trouble understanding things in the book of Daniel, you're in good company. He didn't understand all of it himself. You know, there's a, there's, there are a couple of things that we have to learn from prophecy. One, trust the word of prophecy. He says the vision of the evenings and the mornings, it's, it's, that it's been told, it's true. It's just simply true. Now Daniel's told to seal up the vision and and that doesn't mean to hide it from people or he wouldn't have written it down here, (laughs) that would have been dumb, but it means to guard it, not keep it to yourself. Don't let it be tampered with, but for sure declare it. And Daniel's prophecy teaches God's people something, it teaches us that even in times of trouble, God has ordained it and his word can still be trusted. Even in times of trouble, God who is in control of all things, He has ordained your trouble. And just because we feel distant from God, just because we wonder if God has rejected us, just because we may wonder if God is running from us, the fact of the matter is we must turn to His Word and find out what the truth is. And you find the truth not in your feelings. You find the truth in what the Bible says. And the Bible will tell you. That God has not abandoned you. But he has ordained this for his purposes. Antiochus lived almost 400 years after Daniel had written this. And God still had not forsaken his word. He did exactly as he said he would do. Now. How does that help us where we stand? I mean, we're a little bit past Antiochus Epiphanes, thank God. But how does that help us where where we stand? Well, God has chosen to show us some things about the end of the world. But you know what he has not chosen to show us? We don't know exactly how today fits in with the end of the world. We don't, know. we don't know who the next president of the United States is going to be. We don't know what's going to happen in China. We don't know who's going to go crazy in the Middle East next. We, we don't know those things. God has chosen not to reveal them to us. But here's what we do know by what he has revealed to us. That he is also minutely, specifically, minute by minute in control of everything that's going on today. And you can rest in that. You may not like God's means, but I promise you, you will love His outcome. And so, knowing some prophecy helps us to understand if God has got all of that, then He's got the in-between as well. If If He's got the seven and a half years of the great tribulation, He's got this too. And so we look at that. If He did this in Daniel's day, then he's got every. Just because he hasn't chosen to show us these things doesn't mean that he's not in control of them. So that leads us to verse 27, where Daniel just says, I was appalled by the vision, I didn't understand it. But then he said, I went about the king's business. I just got up and went about my day to day business. What does that mean? Daniel was so astonished and bewildered by what he had seen. Who wouldn't be? He did not understand everything that he wanted to understand. That doesn't mean he didn't understand any of it. But it did mean he didn't grasp the full significance of it. And so it is with us and prophecy in God's word. We can believe it even if we don't understand all the significance of it. But here's something else that we do learn from this. The Bible is hinting at something for us and that is a day is coming when there is an Antiochus Epiphanes type of person who will step upon the stage of human history. He will defy God. He will meticulously and relentlessly hunt down anyone who confesses Christ as Lord. He will rule the world, but he will also be brought down, but by no human hand. It is that point in which the Lord Jesus will visibly show what he's been doing all along. That he has been the king of all nations. That he has been the Lord of all. That he is the creator who upholds everything by the power of his word. He is the organizer of every atom in the universe. Every particle that moves in this universe. He is the one who orchestrates its every movement. He orchestrates the marching line of ants. He orchestrates the curiosity of the possum that was in my yard last night. You don't know how hard it is for a redneck to see a possum and not shoot. So, all of these things, the tragedy that comes into your life, he orchestrates. The fearful challenges that come to you, he orchestrates. Were we not responsible for our own choices? Of course. He orchestrates all things without ever overriding your choice. But he influences your choice. And however he influences, that's what you freely choose. See, a lot of people get stuck on uh, Calvinism and Reformed theology, and they get all hung up on that. Let me just say this to you. Nobody goes to hell against their will. Nobody goes to heaven against their will. Case settled. I don't know what's wrong with you people. Those of us who follow Jesus are going to reign with him forever. You say, that just seems weird. God has done enough prophecy here, and we've seen it literally come true in history to give us the ability to be able to trust him with that next leg of prophecy that's coming. Because he's already done this, it gives his people just A little something to hold on to. Say, yes, God is true. God keeps his word. God orchestrates history. It's going to come down just like he said. And those who neglect Christ will be cast in the lake of fire with the Antichrist. So here's the point. God has prophesied once here. And we can verify that it all came to pass exactly as he said. That being true. Then we can switch that same principle over to the New Testament. And where God has prophesied the events of the end of the world. And what happens to those who follow Christ. And what happens to those who do not. We can take him at his word there. So bottom line is this. Be sure of your king. There is one. Who will rule forever be sure that he's your king you see everybody in this world you have one of two kings you have a poser or you have the creator those only two kinds are are and so be sure that you've given your devotion and allegiance to the one who sits on the throne at the end let's pray together father thank you so much for your word Lord, uh, thank you that you give us glimpses into the work of your hand in human history. We don't always see, we don't always understand these things. Lord, thank you for those few times here that you just you give us this and say, here's what I'm doing, here's what I will do, and I want you to see it come to pass so that you may trust me more. So thank you for that mercy, Lord. Thank you for that grace. Lord, I pray specifically for people here today that, Have not trusted what you've said. That whoever believes upon you has eternal life. They hold on to their life in this world. They continue to live for themselves. Not sure if you're trustworthy. Or they may be going down the road of trying to earn their way there. Not trusting what you've said. That there's none righteous, no not one. All have sinned and fallen short of your glorious standard. That by the law, nobody will be justified. But there is one through whom they can be justified. The just one who died in the place of those who are the sinful criminals. That we might go free. Lord, I pray that you would cause that to sink down into their heart. And would move their will to trust upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, for those of us who are already followers of Christ. I pray that, Lord, you would be magnified in our lives. Lord, not that we can make you bigger, but we can see you larger. And I pray, Father, that you would take over our affections and our ambition, and that our ultimate aim in all things would be that you, God, may be glorified through us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.